0: Raise pay, improve conditions, and show respect. Create a place where people want to work. This is Jim Hightower saying, for a straightforward view from workers themselves, go to the advocacy group OneFairWage.site.
1: You're listening to X-Ray FM, KXRY Portland at 91.1 and 107.1 FM, and in Nahala, Manzanita and Rockaway Beach at 91.7 FM, streaming online everywhere at X-Ray.FM.
2: The Public News Service Daily Newscast, February the 5th, 2024. I'm Mike Clipper. Congress recently cleared legislation that extended government funding into March But one Arizona elections official would like to see federal lawmakers include funding for election administration and for security.
3: Patty Hansen is the Coconino County Recorder in Northern Arizona. She's been involved with elections administration for 36 years and adds that with the continuing exodus of many election recorders and directors in recent years because of increased threats and harassment, what's left is what she calls a huge institutional void. She adds that in more rural counties such as hers, funding to improve election systems would go a long way. Some jurisdictions are wealthier than others and have a better tax base. And I do think it's something the federal government should be looking at for providing the necessary funds across the nation because elections are the foundation of our democracy seven out of 10 americans believe the federal government should be just as if not more responsible for election funding than local municipalities and states i'm alex gonzalez reporting
2: meantime u.s senator sunday released a highly anticipated 118 billion dollar package that pairs border enforcement policy with wartime aid for ukraine That from the Associated Press, they report the proposal could be the best chance for President Biden to resupply Ukraine with wartime aid. That is a major foreign policy goal shared by both the Senate top Democrat Chuck Schumer and top Republican Mitch McConnell. Next to Montana, where researchers are looking for ways to reduce the suicide rate on local reservations. In reporting from KFF Health News, the suicide
1: rate among the state's indigenous youth is more than five times the statewide rate for kids of the same age. Amanda Morningstar lives in Hart Butte, Montana, a town of about 600 on the Blackfeet Indian Reservation. She says her 15-year-old son tried to take his own life after the suicides of a cousin and two classmates. Morningstar says families on the reservation often feel neglected, and she thinks the local tribal council isn't taking the problem seriously.
4: Suicide is something that they don't talk about. They really don't get it unless they go through it. It's, it's just really sad right now because nobody wants to work together.
1: Even though Native Americans are only 6.5% of Montana's population, they were 10% of all suicides in 2020, the third highest rate in the country. This story was produced with original reporting from Cheryl platzman
2: weinstock for KFF Health News. Mark Moran reporting. This is Public News Service. Next to New Hampshire, where lawmakers have voted to advance a so-called bathroom bill, which opponents say will allow for anti-LGBTQ discrimination.
5: House Bill 396 does not ban transgender people from using multi-person restrooms or joining sports teams that align with their gender identity, but it does allow public and private institutions to create their own restrictions. Lynn Jacow with 603 Equality says the bill stems from misinformation and fear.
4: Our opponents and unfounded fears saying the sky is going to fall, there's going to be all of these safety and privacy violations. None of those have come true.
5: The bill passed the House last month, but some lawmakers moved for a reconsideration, which was rejected. Supporters of the legislation says it gives local institutions the power to decide what's right for them. I'm Catherine Carley reporting.
2: And despite the challenges, offshore wind in New York is thriving. More from our Edwin Javiera. In late 2023, the South Fork Wind
6: Farm off Montauk's coast began producing 130 megawatts of power for Long Islanders. But New York's involvement in offshore wind goes beyond putting it in its waters. The Port of Albany has been working to help manufacture wind towers. It will produce, store, and deliver tower sections for the South Brooklyn Marine Terminal for staging. Megan Daly with the Port of Albany says this will benefit the state's move to a climate-friendly future.
5: Not only will this be contributing to solutions for climate change, it frankly is going to be reaching into the adjacent environmental justice communities that will also be able to participate in the labor force and in generational careers here. Both the Port of Albany and the Port
6: of Queemans are economic engines in the capital region. They'll be able to support up to 10,000 construction jobs, create more than 3,200 jobs in the wind energy sector, and add $1 billion in wages during the first year of operation. This is part of New York's burgeoning green economy. A 2019 New York State Comptroller report shows an 85 percent increase in demand for for green jobs.
2: In New Jersey, the Economic Development Authority says that offshore wind jobs would peak in about 2030 at 20,000. Finally, Farah Siddiqui lets us know a new report examines children's well being in every state, and it finds in Missouri the outcomes vary widely depending on race.
7: In its Race for Results report, the Annie e. Casey Foundation analyzes indicators of child well being by race from early childhood education to family resources. It ranks Missouri roughly in the middle among states, but the rankings by race or ethnicity range from 14th for Asian and Pacific Islander children to 40th for white children. Tracy Grever-Rice, Kids Count Program Director for the Missouri Family and Community Trust, says this is consistent with historic trends.
3: White children actually have gone up in terms of the percent in um,
2: poverty. This is by Clifford for Public News Service. Member and supported. Here's some interesting radio stations.
8: Welcome to the second hour of our program. Uh, Just a a, a little news flash here, or just another story that I wanted to toss in. Uh, Jennifer Crumbly, the mother of Ethan Crumbly, who is the 17-year-old school shooter in, uh, what was it, Warren, Michigan? Um, Anyhow, in in Michigan, Um, Oxford High School, left four students dead she has been charged with basically aiding and abetting his murder of his his four high school student colleagues and uh, this is to the best of my knowledge the first time that a parent has been held responsible or is attempting to be held responsible for the actions of their child or at least for for facilitating the actions of their child and uh... She's 45. Her husband's 47. He's being tried separately. Uh, He's facing similar charges. I think this is fascinating, and I think that when we start expanding the chain of responsibility, we can start getting a handle on this thing. When parents start being concerned that if their child has access to the gun, that they might go to prison, when gun dealers, right now, we've got this massive immunity, uh, you know, passed by Congress with, with lobbying efforts from the NRA. We've got this massive immunity that both gun manufacturers and gun retailers have. Right now, even, you know, uh, you've got the gun show loophole. I mean, you've got all these things, right, that, that really shouldn't, shouldn't be. But uh, this, is, this, I think, is a starting point. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Meanwhile, ALEC, remember ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, this is where Republican members of Congress and lobbyists get together one-to-one. You have 30 Republicans in the room, you're going to have 30 lobbyists in the room, and they get together and they write new laws. Of course, you know, most cases the lobbyists actually bring the laws, the Republicans read them and put their names on them, but um, this is at a state level. There's, There's ALEC chapters, I believe, in every single state. And they've got a new piece of, of uh, model legislation that, uh, well, I, Chris, Chris McGreal writes about it over at the Guardian. Um, he said uh, they, they want to undo what are called model, excuse me, public nuisance laws. And the reason why is because the public nuisance laws are the laws that were used to go after the tobacco industry for killing so many Americans and are now being used um, uh, to go after the fossil fuel companies. And, of course, you know, major funder of ALEC is, or at least at one point in the the past was, you know, the the Koch brothers who made their money on fossil fuels. So, you know, whether they're behind this or not, I mean, well, they're not even a they anymore. David has passed away, but um, I, I have no idea. But ALEC is on the job. On Friday, this this is from the article in, in the Guardian. On Friday, the advertising company Publicis Health agreed a three hundred to a three hundred and fifty million dollars settlement with U.S. states that sued the company under public nuisance laws per, for promoting OxyContin to doctors. So, I mean, we're still holding the OxyContin people accountable using these public nuisance laws. And ALEC wants to blow those laws up so that you can no longer hold OxyContin accountable, you can no longer hold tobacco accountable, you can no longer hold the gun people accountable, and most important, you can no longer hold the fossil fuel industry accountable. Um, They've heard hearings on this legislation in Texas so far. Um, It's been introduced in three or four other states, but so far none have have gone for it. Um, We'll see. But keep an eye on this one. I, th- I think this is, this is a, a, a pretty important one. Also, a quick recap of Donald Trump's cases in court. I, j- I just wanted to go through this so that we're all kind of clear on what's going on. Uh, he's facing four charges having to do in federal court, having to do with his attempts to stay in office in 2020. Uh, this is, these are the cases Jack Smith has brought. They include conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction of an attempt to obtain, to obstruct an official proceeding and conspiracy against rights. I thought they should have included sedition in these charges, personally, because it would make a whole lot easier to prevent him from running for president, but they didn't, and so, you know, this is the decision. Back in December of last year, Trump filed an appeal saying, no, you can't prosecute me for this stuff because I have immunity. This is now before the D.C. appeals court. Uh, we're expecting a hearing any day now. It should have come, frankly, weeks ago. And then, in all probability, that'll get appealed to the Supreme Court. So, you know, as a result, Judge Chutkin, she originally had the trial date set for March 4th. She has now moved it indefinite. indefinite. There is no trial date now for Trump on this case, which is, of course, exactly what he wants. He's also looking at, a, at the business fraud case in New York State. This is Letitia James. This is... Uh, before a state supreme court justice, that that's being uh, uh, litigated, and that case now that Tanya Chutkin's case, the federal, the the Jack Smith case in D.C. has been put on hold, um, that business fraud case may move forward. Also, you've got the Alvin Bragg case of election fraud, charging that Trump paid off Stormy Daniels to keep her name out of the headlines. And had her name been in the headlines, he wouldn't have won the, the White House in 2016. So this is a clear example of election fraud, election manipulation. And Al, Alvin Bragg may step into that one. Then down in, in Florida, you've got the espionage case Um, You know, uh, he's being prosecuted for over 30 violations of the Espionage Act. For some reason, the media refuses to call it that. They call it the documents case or the the Mar-a-Lago case. But it's about violations of the espionage law and possibly handing top-secret documents, American documents, off to foreign actors, foreign spies, whether doing it, you know, hey, Ralph, here, go, or whether it's, uh, hey, Ralph, uh, don't know if you noticed, but the uh, closet back there is unlocked. Uh, Or maybe just, you know, Ralph's wandering through. Actually, it was more often a Susie than a Ralph. Uh, Most of the spies, at least that we know of, the ones that we know of that came from Russia and China were women. Um, Attractive women who, you know, which thus gets them photo ops with Donald Trump and probably a a quick grope. Um, So then there's that. And then you've got, you know, Judge Ingeron uh, in New York, this $370 million fine. He has already found Trump guilty of fraud and uh, and then, of course, there's the Fulton County case where Trump tried to steal the election. He called up Grafson Perger and said, "You know, find me eleven thousand more votes, and that of course is a crime and that that case is has been slowed down right now because uh you know Trump and one of the other uh, defendants in that case are claiming that because Fonnie Willis and and uh, well, Ethan Wade, I believe his name is the the, the lead prosecutor that she hired, have been um, uh, uh, playing spin the bottle. Um, that therefore they shouldn't be able to prosecute him. I, I don't know what that has you know how that has anything to do with anything. Um, and I'm guessing that the court is going to rule that way. That that's irrelevant. They can you know. They can make nookie all they want on their, on their own time, but what we're, what we're concerned with here is the crime. But, you know, we'll see. And then, of course, there's the E. Gene Carroll. He's, Trump has got $83.3 million on top of a previous $5 million, so that's uh, $88.5 million that he owes. And, you know, how's he going to deal with that? How's he going to pay for it? How's he going to put up bail or continue putting up, or excuse me, put up an appeal? You have, to, you have to post kind of a bail for the appeal. Appeal. So, uh, a lot going on there. Finally blue slips. I want to talk to you about blue slips. I've written about this. We've talked about this in the past. In fact, I think the last time we talked about this was maybe 5-6 months ago. And it's back as an issue. And I got to tell you about that right after the break. Stay with us. This is the Tom Hartman program and welcome back we'll be right back oh king charles was just diagnosed with cancer interesting apparently of the prostate stay with us all righty let's pick up your phone calls here Uh, david in tulsa oklahoma hey david what's on your mind today
9: Hey, Tom, I want to talk about framing. You remember George Lakoff and the Don't Think of an Elephant. Mm-hmm. Okay, we everything, everybody refers to these as illegal immigrants. And we're allowing them. The Democrats, every, it's, they're not illegal immigrants. They are climate refugees. They are economic refugees. They are disaster refugees. They are political refugees They are violence refugees We are talking about El Salvador, Panama Haiti, Colombia Venezuela They are taught history they know who did what to who. The Monroe Doctrine, Manifest Destiny. They know about Fort Benning in Georgia, the School of Americas. They know who gave them Pinochet, and who gave us Noriega, and all the other long list of people. They know who United Fruit is. We not, may not be taught it, because we are taught in America what Levy Stra- the Levy Straw School chicago school of the american myth you teach history as you would like it to be not what it actually is the whole thing the rage against the cathode ray tubes (laughs) i don't know what that's about because we've never been taught history it's all been indoctrination you know i was in Bartlesville. we knew about the tulsa race riots yeah, all went back in grade school. My grandmother used to call Tulsa a wicked town because we knew what happened with that and also with Glenpool and all that because of oil companies, dynamiting rigs, you know, the whole the all the dark things. Oklahoma keeps being ignored. You know, the Badlands, Indian Territory. Uh, <laughs> it's funny that We used to be so populist. We had a populist party. We had a communist party. We had a socialist party. We had the largest woman in the entire United States. It's like Satan said, Oh, we're gonna have to turn that around and come in. But the whole problem here is definitions and framing. And the idea that we keep referring to all these people showing up at our border. Oh my god, they're immigrants, they're doing this, that and the other. And right now there's a big just the other day, six minutes, got Chinese showing up, an educated Chinese. Why China's collapsing? Mm-hmm. Russia's been collapsing. They're all showing up. Why? Well, we're at least the last bastion, huh? the shining, oh, I hate that analogy, the, the shining star on the hill. See. I want to do a little quote, quote here from H.L. Mencken. The whole aim of practical politics is to. Keep the populace alarmed and hence clamorous to be led to safety by menacing it with an endless series of hobgoblins, all of them imaginary. <laughs> yeah. Politics it's... is the art of preventing people from sticking their noses in things that are properly their business. Yeah. That's Paul Valley. You know, and, and Henry Brooks Adams, politics has always been the systematic organization patrons.
10: Mm-hmm.
9: This is what we're in. So what are you going to so do I'm, about it, David? This is the land of 900. Well, first of all, we've got to change the framing. Hmm. You've got to start, you know, we have Newt Gingrich come in and say, every time you use the word Democrat or liberal, you yeah. have to put a pejorative in front of it. Right. We need to start, you know, it's we want to call them criminal conservatives. What are they mm-hmm. conserving? Yeah. And remember, stupidity is to be more feared than criminality because at least criminals value things. The
8: stupid have no regard for anything. Yeah, so it seems. David, thank you. <laughs> what a rant. Alrighty, nineteen minutes past the hour. I'll be back with you in sixty seconds. Stay with us. Change starts with you. You can be calling your Democratic or Republican representatives to let them know what you think by calling 202-224-3121. It's the Capitol switchboard. It'll get you right through to them. From Los Angeles to Columbia, South Carolina, from Birmingham, Alabama to Baltimore, universal basic income programs are chalking up proof after proof of their viability. Basically, just giving people, low-income people, poor people, somewhere between $500 and $1,500 a month, no strings attached, is lifting people out of poverty, getting them back on track, getting them into solid middle-class jobs, helping their children tremendously. This works. Now, we don't have to do UBI in the United States. We're the only developed country in the world that doesn't have a national health care program. Health expenses are whacking a lot of low-income people. We're the only country, developed country in the world that doesn't have free college education. Education expenses are whacking people. There's a lot we could do. We can subsidize housing. We can subsidize food. We do that with food stamps. We could expand it. There's a lot we could do to, to, to benefit from this. There's a whole report about that over at HartmanReport.com. Check it out. Welcome back. 21 minutes past the hour. So, uh, blue slips, this is, this is not part of the Senate rules. This is merely a tradition. There's no obligation to follow this. And here's, the, here's, the, here's what it goes back to. This goes back to the, the, the days before the The telegraph, you know, the telegraph became uh, uh, widespread across the United States in the period from the 1830s and 1840s, really, until the 1890s. Um, it it actually goes back to that era and before. And the rationale was, you know, if you're a senator from from uh, uh, Maryland and you're sitting in Washington D.C. And, a, and the president nominates somebody to be a judge who is in uh, Wyoming, and they're going to be on the whatever circuit you know, Wyoming is part of, odds are you, being the senator from Maryland, have no idea who that person is. So if either of the two senators from Wyoming think that, you know, this guy is a fool or a buffoon or a drunk or whatever and shouldn't be on the court, then what they do is they withhold a blue slip. They, 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 they refuse to basically endorse that person. And the Senate Judiciary Committee has this tradition of honoring that and saying, okay, if you're not going to endorse this person, we're not going to let them go through committee and ne- their nomination will never hit the floor. Now, Republicans started abusing this back during the Clinton administration refusing to submit blue slips on on judges that bill clinton was nominating and the result of that was that clinton had to pick more and more and more conservative judges to get people that these uh, uh, red state senators would actually provide a blue slip for uh same problem with obama he was able to get some good progressive judges on the bench but most of them were kind of middle of the road or even conservatives because of this whole blue slip thing So when Trump becomes president, Mitch McConnell says, screw the blue blue slips. You know, they they had a bunch of nominees like this guy, you know, down in Texas. um, uh, What was his name? Kazmarek, Matthew Kazmarek, you know, the guy who outlawed Miffa Pristone and said, you know, let's let's bring back the Comstock Act. Um, They had a bunch of people like him where Democrats uh, did not want to submit blue slips. And now I'm not. You know, I'm not sure that that would be the case with him because both of his senators were Texans, you know, uh, Cornyn and Cruz. But, but uh, there there were plenty of them, and so now, but but uh, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Mitch McConnell just said, "Screw that." He said, "I don't care what you think." Senator from Minnesota, th- senator from Michigan, senator from you know, Democratic senator. He says. He's just going to ignore whether he got blue slips or not from Democratic senators. Well, now Dick Durbin is in charge of the Senate Judiciary Committee again. And he's gone back to saying, okay, I'm going to honor blue slips. I think this is crazy. Like I said, this is not a Senate rule. You don't have to do this, Senator Durbin. And it's being used in ways that are clearly evidencing bad faith. They are blocking, uh, Republicans are refusing to submit blue slips, they're blocking the nomination of good judges because they think that they might be a little too liberal. Come on, you, you know, you control the Senate. Ronald Reagan famously said elections have consequences, so the consequence now is that you control the Senate and, and a Democrat controls the White House. Between the two of you, you should be able to get any damn judge in that you want as long as they can get 50 votes in the United States Senate you know, plus one, plus, plus the speaker, or plus the, excuse me, the vice president, the president pro tem. But for some reason, Dick Durbin is going along with this. And the last time we had this conversation, six months ago or so, I wrote an op-ed about it. I Maybe I'll have to write another one, I don't know. But you might want to call, particularly if you live in Illinois, you might want to call Dick Durbin's office and just let him know that, you know, he there's no reason why he has to honor this blue slip rule, and if the Republicans take the Senate, you know, they're going to ignore it. They did before. So the phone number is 202-224-3121. That's the Capitol switchboard. It'll get you to any member of the House or Senate. You just ask for them. 202-224-3121. It's uh, amazing. All right, let's pick up your calls here. Uh, well, actually, I've, I've got less than a minute, so that wouldn't be fair. Uh, I'll pick up, I was going to start with Devin in Pittsburgh. I'll pick up your call on the other side of the break. But just just to, to amplify this blue slip thing, and this, this is a classic example of Republicans ignoring a tradition that was put into place for a, a good and positive reason. And there may be times when you actually want a senator from a state to come in and say, you know, I just can't endorse this guy, and here's why. Here's what he did. You know, back when he was convicted of beating his wife, or back when he kicked his dog, or what you know, whatever it may be. Um, You know, he 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 was taking money from the from OxyContin manufacturers or something. Um, I get that, but to but for Dick Durbin to to just you know cower in the face of any Republican senator simply saying, I'm not going to go along with that judge because they're too liberal. It's just wrong, and and it's also creating silos. What's what's happening is that that those states in these in these areas that are that are uh, that are uh, what do you call it uh, you know controlled by Republicans tend to get more and more and more conservative to the point of crazy conservative judges because of this whole blue slip thing. We need diversity on our bench.
11: You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. We'll be back
8: with your calls in just a minute, 27 minutes past the hour. today is playing with fire, the 1968 election and the transformation of American politics by Lawrence O'Donnell. Uh, the first chapter, Seizing the Moment, it starts in 1968. Richard Nixon was in a makeup chair when he met Roger Ailes. Maybe it was the makeup chair that set Ailes off. He was looking at the man who might be, have been president right now if he had just sat in the makeup chair CBS offered him in Chicago before the, before the first televised presidential debate in American history. Nixon had ignored the network's makeup artist and used a drugstore product called Lazy Shave to cover his heavy 5 o'clock shadow. Nixon once said, I can shave within 30 seconds before I go on television and still have a beard. The day after the debate, the Chicago Daily News ran the headline, Was Nixon Sabotaged by TV Makeup Artists? Uh, Richard Daley, the all-powerful Democratic mayor of Chicago, said, My God, they've embalmed him even before he died. Nixon lost the election to John F. Kennedy by two-tenths of 1% of the vote, 49.7% to 49.5%. In an election that close, every mistake matters. A mistake like not getting the makeup right was the kind of thing that infuriated Roger Ailes. Now, seven years later, Ailes was meeting Nixon for the first time in the makeup room of the Mike Douglas show. At age 26, Ailes looked like an assistant, but he was the boss, the executive producer of the show. And Nixon was once again a presidential candidate in what was beginning to look like a crowded field covering the 1968 Republican nomination. Ailes wanted Nixon to be president, and he knew the most powerful force blocking Nixon's path to the White House was television. To win the White House in the 1960s, you had to understand and respect the power of television. Ailes also knew that one of Nixon's potential rivals for the Republican nomination understood everything about television, Ronald Reagan, the former film and TV actor. Ailes wondered what Nixon had learned about TV since the makeup disaster of the 1960 campaign. Sitting in the makeup chair, Nixon offhandedly mentioned to Ailes how silly it felt to try to reach voters by appearing on an afternoon talk show like this one instead of a news show like Meet the Press. The Mike Douglas show is targeted at Housewives and usually populated by B-list showbiz celebrities. In response, Ailes instantly rattled off a list of every bad move Nixon had ever made on TV, and it was a long list. Ailes was a teenager when he'd seen some of these things. This was not the way people talked to former Vice President Richard Milhouse Nixon. There was none of the deference Nixon had become accustomed to over the decades, and Nixon loved it. Nixon made Ailes an offer he couldn't refuse. Instead of trying to make Mike Douglas America's biggest afternoon TV star, make Richard Nixon America's next president. With Ailes on the media team, the Nixon campaign was ready to make the move from being the worst TV campaign to the best. We're going to build this whole campaign around television, Nixon told his media team. You boys just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Roger Ailes' career in Republican politics, which included every day he ran Fox News, turned out to be longer than Richard Nixon's. Ailes became more influential in Republican politics than Nixon ever was. We have reason to wonder who would be president today if Richard Nixon had not provoked Roger Ailes in the Mike Douglas show Makeup Room. Such are the seeds that were planted in American politics in the 1968 presidential campaign. Run, Bobby, run is the subhead for the next part of this. Bobby was a natural on television. In 1967, he was the only potential presidential candidate who could charm a TV audience just by being himself. All he needed was his smile. Bobby was the Elvis of American politics, the only politician who didn't need a last name to identify him. But his last name was everything. It was Bobby Kennedy's last name that made every potential candidate fear him. As the field of candidates began to take shape in 1967, every campaign calculation depended on Bobby, even when he showed no signs of wanting to run, even when he told people he wasn't going to run. President Lyndon Baines Johnson feared Bobby to the point of obsession. Johnson thought Bobby was the only one who could do the unthinkable, challenged the incumbent president's grip on the Democratic nomination. Johnson was sure that Bobby was the only Democrat who might dare run against him. He was wrong. Nixon feared Bobby too as did every Republican planning a campaign. Nixon knew exactly what to fear. He had lost to a Kennedy before. Losing to a Kennedy meant losing to the Kennedy political machine, and it meant losing it to the Kennedy style. A political machine can be beaten by a better political machine, though Nixon had never seen a better political machine than the Kennedys. Kennedy's style was something else. Nixon knew there was nothing Ailes could do for his image that could compete with Kennedy's style. Nixon couldn't change his sharply receding hairline. At 54, he was too old to do anything but tamp down his short, dark hair as flat and pos- as possible on his head. Bobby's hair had grown longer every year of the 1960s. Now at 42, he had the shaggiest hair in the United States Senate. His little brother Ted was the only other senator with a full head of hair. Bobby's hair was beginning to grow over his ears, rock musician length for the Senate then. And everywhere Bobby spoke outside the Senate chamber, he was treated like a rock star. That's what Nixon and Johnson feared most about Bobby, the way the crowds responded to him. They'd never seen anything like it in politics. Nixon and Johnson were both old enough to remember the first time anyone saw fans screaming and swooning for Frank Sinatra in the 1940s before, during, and after every song Sinatra sang. America saw an even more intense version of that fan reaction when the Beatles landed in the United States in 1964. And now Nixon and Johnson saw a version of it happening to Bobby. Bobby. Everywhere Bobby went, crowds worked themselves into frenzies. When he spoke, he didn't sound like any senator they'd heard before. His voice wasn't stiff and self-conscious. The book Playing With Fire by Lawrence O'Donnell. Hey, if you like the rants that I open the show with every day, they're typically published over at HartmanReport.com. Check it out. You know, between uh, 40 years of Ronald Reagan's neoliberalism destroying the American middle class and all the just horrors of January 6th and the Trump presidency, America's waking up, and <laughs> that's a really good thing. I, there's actually, you know, some books coming out about this. I'm mine, The Hidden History of Democracy, Neil Howes, the fourth Turning" is here. And it looks like a, a moment of American renaissance is upon us if our media doesn't screw it up, which raises the question, can we have democracy and Fox News? Can the two coexist? Like, you know, when Fox News runs Chiron saying that, that uh, essentially Joe Biden is a wannabe dictator who's throwing Trump in jail because he's his political opponent. There's a whole rant about this and an in-depth analysis of what can we do with regard to repairing our media here in the United States over at hartmanreport.com i think you'll find it interesting check it out welcome back 30 35 30, yeah 35 minutes past the hour and uh, let's see if we yeah we've covered everything for the for this hour so Devon in uh Pittsburgh. Hey Devon, what's uh what's on your mind today? Or is it Devon?
10: Hey Devon.
8: It is Devon. Devon yeah. actually yeah. Devon. Thank you.
5: Yeah. You're welcome. So thanks for having me on. Um so I, I think you mentioned a week ago or so when uh Lawrence O'Donnell uh O'Donnell rather uh encouraged everyone to read the Amicus brief that was filed uh mm-hmm. so that
8: by the historians. And
5: Right, and it is. He's right. It is so readable, and I just think it's important that we all, as citizens, do our duty to read that and understand what's going on, because I, I think we're kind of missing the point here. the The reason that he should not be allowed to run for office is that if he does run and loses, he'll deny that he lost and, you know, foment more insurrection and war. Right. So. It it seems to me, and it seems to this group called the um, Alliance for Justice, which is a progressive group in D.C. that tries to defend our courts, their president said this morning, uh, there really is no way for the court to protect Trump and defend the U.S. Constitution. It must choose and bear the consequences. So I think we're better off. If they come out with a decision that's just and dealing with the consequences of whatever breaks out, and that way we don't have to deal with it after an election, because in my mind, it's much worse. And that's the reason he shouldn't be allowed on the ballot in the first place. is because we don't want to deal with the aftermath of him claiming that he didn't lose, which he'll do no matter what. Right. So yeah. take the medicine early, you know what I mean? It's like better to break
4: up early.
8: I agree. And and, and and these guys, when they wrote the 14th Amendment, they knew how destructive it could be. I mean, they, one, of the, one of the things that they had in their mind, and they talked about it during the, during the debate on the 14th Amendment, was Jefferson Davis, you know, the president of the Confederacy. He could run for president of the United States, and it's not inconceivable that he could win. And they, they prevented him from running, um, you know, based on the 14th Amendment. This is uh, Yeah, this is not ancient, ancient history. I mean, you know, it's over 100 years, 150 years, but it's not. Uh, it's 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 something that we should be respecting. I'm I'm, I'm with you, Devon. Uh, thank you very much. I hope- Go ahead.
5: Yeah, well, uh, well, I was just going to say and uh, a quote from their brief is that our democracy is not a chaotic free-for-all in which mm-hmm. anyone can be elected. That's the point. Yeah. So let's keep him from being on the ballot because that is the most just action for the court to take. And if they don't, then, you know, let's camp out on the steps of the Supreme Court. and.
4: Yeah. Yeah,
5: you know, no, let's, I'm let's with you. And, and the
8: Constitution yeah. is quite clear about this. There is not an unlimited run or right to run for president. You have to be at least 35 years old. You have to be a natural born natural born citizen. You have to have lived in the United States for 14 years. Um, uh, there arguably there was a time you had to be male, although uh, I'm not sure that that was ever in law, but certainly that was, you know, how it worked out uh before women's <laughs> suffrage. Um, And and now you know the well not just now since 1865 or 1867 or 68 whenever the 14th Amendment was ratified uh, you've you've got to uh, you've got to have been a good citizen who didn't try to overthrow your government I mean it's like that's it so yeah imagine. if Germany had had
5: this in place before the putsch, imagine if, yeah. you know, Hitler could have been kept from running again. Yeah. And that's really where we are. I mean, that sounds yeah. hyperbolic, but that's what we are. I agree. So I hope the Supreme Court does the right thing, and if not, I hope Americans persuade them to do otherwise.
8: Yeah, I, I totally get it, Devon. Um, you know, you can build an argument. Uh, in, in fact, I, I, have, I have done so on this program that the american people should have the ability to reject donald trump and that'll put an end to his whining except that they rejected him in twenty twenty and it didn't put an end to his whining um but you know uh, there's there's i i i'm i would just love to see him stage exit stage left you know but we'll see i'm i'm not hope i'm not holding my breath devon i gotta run but thank you for the call kenyatta in los angeles hey kenyatta what's on your mind today
6: And no any better, I would think that this was a a purposeful uh, contrast uh, on your behalf because running the risk of repetition, I've said it to you before, uh, I think you already know how much I absolutely detest the personage of Donald Trump. However, I want Donald Trump on the ballot. If Donald Trump is such an antithesis of American society, if Donald Trump is such an outlier, Tom, then the American people, there are 400 million people in the United States, will reject him. Because what this is starting to look like is that America is afraid to look at, his, at itself. Donald Trump won in 2016. He became the president. No one knew what kind of to expect. There were some clues. Okay? But now the country knows what it is. You mm-hmm. had four years of that. So if the American people want to to ratify that, then they should be allowed to, because you see, Tom, if I go to the doctor and the doctor says to me, if I were a person that smoked cigarettes, and I don't, but if the doctor says to me, hey, Kenyatta, you got to stop smoking, man, you're going to develop emphysema, lung cancer, and I keep smoking, and then one day, I start coughing up bloody phlegm. Guess what? When I see that bloody phlegm, maybe finally I will stop and say, i got to stop smoking. And the United States has been smoking uh, electorally for a long time. Citizens United, all of this crap that you've talked about over and over again, which is relevant, maybe Donald Trump is the mirror that the United States needs to see, Tom. Maybe this country needs to see that this is who we are. And then, and then, finally reject it because this is not like 2016. This is we we, we the United States has had a dose of this guy. Mm. So if he wins in 2024, what the country's doing is doubling down and saying we like it. And I not only want the American people to see it, I want the world to see it. If it's him, Idi Amin, Jeffrey Dahmer, Adolf Hitler, <laughs> David Duke, I don't care. They should be able to run because if they're that much of an outlier and, and te- antithetical to the to, to what this population is about,
8: then there's nothing to worry about. Yeah. Tell me where I've got it wrong. No, I you know I completely agree with your analysis. And the other the argument on the other side is: Are we a nation of laws or not? And the law and and there is no more supreme law than the Constitution. The law is quite clear. If you lead an insurrection, or if you give aid and comfort to somebody who's leading an insurrection, you can't hold public office. So, you know, you, you've the got these, have got these two dynamics. Yeah, I agree point. with you. I want to see Donald Trump crushed in the polls, and I think it'll be the best thing for the Democratic be. Party. Frankly, uh, that well, said, well, no, I also it, it would am healed, a big fan of the law being the enforced.
6: Tom, but he's not been convicted of anything see that's the problem i'm not disagreeing with you at all at all
8: so your argument is that is that before he can be prevented from he needs to be convicted of insurrection thank you yeah yeah i you know that's the one argument that i have no rebuttal for you're right you know <laughs> uh you know other than that you know Coffee flat-footed well no it's that you know, we all have eyes but uh, Merrick yeah. Garland apparently doesn't have the, the, the guts to, yep. to, to yep. charge Trump with insurrection. I said that That's when right. I was reading the charges a minute ago, that, that insurrection should have been one of the charges that he was charged with. Um, you know, let although,
6: me t- let me, can I say this to you real quick, Tom? Yeah. You know, keeping someone off the ballot, you know, for the first time, I voted twice in my life. Both my guys won. I'm not going to say who they are. One of them's name started with an O. The other one started with an R. Forget about it. Okay i was going to vote in 2016 i was actually going to get out there because i love bernie sanders i have had the pleasure of actually speaking with him uh, a couple of times on your show um I, I, I volunteered for bernie sanders without getting into the sausage making of uh, partisan politics he didn't make it on the ballot and this is what i ask myself in 2016 instead of donald trump if we had had bernie sanders How differently
8: eight years later would this country look? Oh, it would be night and day. Yeah, it would be absolute night and day. And and you know we both know that. Um, Particularly if he had a majority in the House and Senate, you know, like like Joe Biden did. And uh, although you know Joe Biden and Bernie have been working hand in glove, I mean Bernie was in charge of the Budget Committee. He he came up with all that cool legislation, the Chips Act, and well, not I'm not sure all of it. I think Chips might have come out of a different uh, committee, but. He did a lot of good stuff. Kenyatta, i got to run, but uh, keep writing. I uh, uh, love your Substack newsletter. Uh, for people who don't know, just go to Substack.com and plug in Kenyatta. Kenyatta, thanks. Good to hear from you. Yes, sir. Yep. Bye-bye. Thank you. You're Bye listening now.
11: listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives.
8: Helping you win the water cooler wars. I'll be right back with your calls in just a moment. Stay with us. Welcome back, Alfredo in Mountain View, California. Hey, Alfredo, what's on your mind today?
12: Hey, Tom, uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I don't think, personally, that Donald Trump uh, or the Supreme Court is going to roll in his favor, and here is why. Imagine uh, Donald Trump raping women, or giving, uh, committing treason, giving secrets to our enemies. Uh, The Supreme Court is not going to allow a dictator or a despot to be in power, uh, despite of being very radical and and religious freaks that they are. But uh, that is my opinion. Uh, uh, And on another note, Donald Trump is going to bring down all the Republican Party down with him. Mm -hmm. I was listening to uh, last week, and he was talking about how Donald Trump is sucking up all the money from the GOP in donations. And the GOP is in trouble as far as uh, raising money right now. All right. And so, yeah. Uh, I, I I'm getting he, two or three he, a he, day
8: from Donald Trump fundraisers. <laughs> yeah,
12: but yeah, but he's sucking up all the money from the GOP mm-hmm. in donations. And as far as uh, when his legal travels uh, piled up uh, at the end, these guys are going to end up uh, going to jail and with him, uh, all the Republicans that support him, he's going to bring down all the party down to the ground, uh, in my opinion. But I, that's all I
8: need to say. Yeah. So far, all the elections that have happened since uh, 2000, really since 2018, have suggested that that's the trend line, Alfredo. That, that you're absolutely right. The the big question, and and uh, you know, is is the Supreme Court going to hold him hold him responsible? And that's
12: uh, I, I ahead. think they will. Yeah. And remember my, my new slogan for the Republican Party, uh, uh, for Donald Trump, make America the loser again. That's his new
8: slogan. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I like it. Alfredo, right. thank you. That, that was brilliant. Right. Thank you. Uh, Marguerite in uh, Northridge, California. Hey, Marguerite, what's on your mind today?
3: Hi, thanks for taking my call. I kind of panicked when I saw my voter ballot for um our Los Angeles area come in and it showed a total of presidential campaign people to pick from eight candidates. The very last one on the list was Joseph R. Biden Jr., but right above him was the name First name President R Bodie B O D D I E. And my first thought was, oh, my God, how many people are going to see the word president who aren't maybe English as a second language, and they're going to think they're voting for for Joe Biden? That's you know, if They're not careful. I just wanted to get, so, I wanted to so get this, the word out that this guy.
8: Get, finish your thought. I'm sorry.
3: Go ahead. Yeah. I just wanted to get the word out there to everybody to read your ballot carefully because this guy who is like number seven on the list, his first name is President, then middle initial R, last name is Bodie, B-O-D-D-I-E, which looks a lot like the next name, Joseph R. Biden.
8: Wow. Wow.
3: So, I just wanted you to wonder make if everybody you wonder if he changed
8: his name to do this uh, this little trick on the ballot, or if uh, if that actually is the name that his parents gave him. Um, and, and right.
3: The, I couldn't I couldn't find that in Georgia election uh, requirements, I couldn't find what his legal name was. but yeah. I just wanted people to read their ballot carefully and not be deluded into thinking that's President Biden.
8: There you go. Yeah, cause the Republicans will pull all kinds of weird stuff marguerite thank you very much uh amazing we'll be right back stay back in 60 seconds stay with us Support progressive radio. If you're listening to us on a commercial station, call their advertisers and let them know you're listening. If you're listening to us on Pacifica or one of our many nonprofit stations, please support them when they do their fundraising drives. Thanks for supporting progressive talk radio and tag your it. You know, one of the grand questions that political scientists have been scratching their heads over for years in America is why do right wing billionaires fund anti black history? movements? Why are they, why are they pouring money into these people? Why are they funding anti-trans movements? I mean, what does this have to do with being a billionaire? Well, it turns out it has a lot to do with it. And here's why. Almost 30 million Americans lack health insurance. 37 million of us live in dire poverty. One in five of us are illiterate. A quarter of Americans suffer from a diagnosable mental illness and can't get treatment. 316 people are shot every day in America. 44% of us carry student debt. And the billionaires, don't want to pay income taxes to deal with any of these problems of society. That's the real issue. If they can get us fighting with each other over black history or over trans people or kids, they win. Then we're not talking about taxing them, raising their taxes to where they should be. There's a whole rant about this over at hartmanreport.com that you can read and see all the stats and all the hot links. Check it out. nine minutes before the hour picking up your calls here brenda in chicago hey brenda what's up
4: hey tom um i think that the democratic party needs to to do everything possible your richard nixon example was perfect that i heard a recording of the five o'clock shadow may have lost in the election i agree with a point you've brought up many times about the name um, Democrat, that the Republicans love to put a spin on that and try to emphasize the rat part of it. So I wanted to get your thoughts about an idea that I have, or maybe somebody has an alternative idea, but my thought was, what would you think, and, and there are precedents, uh, for example, there used to be uh, cherry oats, and is now Cheerios, one of the most popular cereals in America. Mm-hmm. Dunkin' Donuts is now just Dunkin'. I, I, there's many other examples. Sure. My thought was, what if we became the democracy party? And then you might say, well, then what would we call the candidates? We, we could call them the democracers. Like, oh, she's a democracy candidate from Alabama or whatever. And mm-hmm. the reason I suggest it is, first of all, you're taking away the rat connotation. It also has the same number of syllables as Republican. So instead of Republican candidate, you'd say the democracer candidate. The other thing I thought of, there are many names of different types of people that end in ER. Philosopher, um, laborer, officer, forester, photographer, professor, professor. Barrister, um, driver, and so what would be wrong um, with with calling a candidate a Democrat from the Democracy Party? And I would just love to hear your thoughts.
8: It's an interesting idea, Brenda. I, my my inclination is, I mean, the, the the name Democratic Party goes back to Thomas Jefferson, and uh, although it was at that time he called it the Democratic Republican Party, and then they dropped the word Republican from their name in the eighteen twenties. Um, but uh, it's always been called the Democratic Party. And I, th- I think rather than trying to change our name because they've slurred our name, we should start calling them out on their slurs. I mean, I, I do that when I go on Fox News or when right-wingers call into the program and they start ta- ta- talking about the Democrat Party. I always say, you know, there's no such thing as the Democrat Party. That was a slur that you know, from the 1950s that Joe McCarthy came up with, and he said, Never say Democratic Party. That sounds too nice. I always say Democrat Party with an emphasis on the rat, and and that usually shuts them up. I mean, you know, it's it's still the religion on Fox News. You will never hear them refer to the Democratic Party, um, which just shows their their disregard for honesty and truth, and and frankly, the American, uh, you know, their own viewers. Um, but, uh, I, I, you know, I like, I like, the, idea, I, I like the, the idea behind your idea, and I, I agree with you on the framing. I, number one, it's not going to happen. Um, you know, there's, there's been so much invested over more than two centuries in the name Democratic Party. But I do think we need to start calling out these people who are using this slur. I mean, if we, if we you know, if, if MSNBC always referred to the Republican Party as the Republican Party, or, or the Republican Party or the, you know, the GQP or something you know, equally, um, you know, not uncommon, but uh, you know, diminutive or dismissive, uh, they would be called out for it. And I don't know why Fox doesn't get called out for this. Uh, and, 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 and frankly, every time one of these Republicans comes on a Sunday show or on one of these political shows and they start talking about the Democrat Party, um, those hosts, if they don't call them out then and there at the time, we all need to jump all over them on social media and, and point it out. Brenda, I need to move along, with thank you. Yeah, I, I Like I said, I like your suggestion. Michael in Bronx, New York. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind today?
13: Hi, Tom, there's so much on the plate here. First off, when your earlier call is, um, was guessing that the Supreme Court wants Trump on the ballot, I think the difference, because Trump had already defied the Supreme Court already, and this was just before the January 6th insurrection. Supreme Court said it wasn't going to get involved. The results are as it is and should leave it alone. Trump defied that. And this um, also leads to my argument regarding immunity. Nowhere in, oh, before I forget, um, someone has says that Trump should be on the ballot, As you were saying, the 14th Amendment makes it clear. When you look at other competitions in sports or game shows or whatever the case may be, if someone does something that gets them disqualified, the officials call it a disqualification. Since when has any of that been put on hold, pending some kind of hearing to try to overturn or resolve it? Never. So the same principle applies here. And then it's this whole thing about immunity. You know, the the whole thing is, is that nowhere in the Constitution does it say that the president has immunity. You know, you took an oath to abide by the laws and the Constitution of the United States. Nothing more, nothing less. So it's, it's, I just get tired of these, of Trump and these Republicans want to make stuff up as they go on. And there's nothing mentioned about immunity whatsoever. Add to that, that if um if anybody was to grant him immunity that defies his claim of I did nothing wrong, I did nothing wrong when in fact he's has done stuff wrong that's right. why he wants immunity like but some... also keep in mind also keep in mind his intent criminal attempt to continue doing wrong and thinks that he's untouchable right. make a note of that legal scholars
8: yeah, make and a note he's continuing it. to this day he's continuing to claim that he that he actually won in 2020 when it's been debunked 16 ways to sunday uh michael thank you um spot on We'll be back on the other side of the break. Ninety-four percent of California's population is at risk. Holy cow. You're listening to
0: Tom Hartman. If you're a corporate employee, you know that something unpleasant is afoot when top executives are suddenly issuing statements about how committed they are to their employees, making sure that all of them are treated with dignity and respect. For example, the PR chief of a global outfit named Teleperformance, one of the world's largest call centers, was recently going on and on about how, quote, we value our people and their well-being, safety, and happiness. Why did the corporation feel such a desperate need to proclaim its virtue? Because it's been caught in a nasty scheme to spy on its own workers. Teleperformance, a $6.7 billion global behemoth that handles customer service calls for Amazon, Apple, Uber, etc., saves money on overhead by making most of its 380,000 employees around the world work from their own homes. That can be a convenience for many workers, but a new corporate policy, first imposed in March on thousands of its workers in Colombia, is an Orwellian nightmare. Teleperformance is pressuring them to sign an eight-page addendum to their employee contracts, allowing corporate-controlled video cameras, electronic audio devices, and data collection tools to be put in their homes to monitor their actions. I work in my bedroom, one employee noted. I don't want to have a camera in my bedroom. Neither would I, and I doubt that Teleperformance's $20 million-a-year CEO would allow one in his mansion. Uglier yet, the privacy-obliterating contract requires that even the children of employees can be spied on at home. Nonetheless, the Colombian worker signed because her supervisor said she she refused. Of course, Teleperformance Inc. assures us that the data it collects on children is not shared elsewhere. But how do we know that? Trust us, they say. This is Jim Hightower saying. Do you?
10: You're listening to X-Ray FM at KXRY Portland at 91.1 and 107.1 FM, streaming online everywhere at x-ray.fm.
14: Hello, X-Ray listeners, and welcome again to Jazz in Portland. I'm Thomas Smith here with Tom Skelly. Hi, Thomas. Here are some events for the week of February 5th, Monday, February 5th, at Corksview Wine Bar 1665 Southeast Bobby Boulevard, Fox Nova, Latin Groove, 7 to 9 p.m. Tuesday, February 6th, at Arrivederci, 17023 South East McGaughlin Boulevard, Randy Porter Trio, featuring Todd Strait on drums and Patrick Galichnick on bass, 7 to 9 p.m. At the Garages, 17880 Southwest McEwen in Lake Oswego, Ronstein Trio, a jazzy jam, 7 to 9.30 p.m. Wednesday, February seventh, at the Joe Barn Rotisserie, seven fifteen, Northwest Twenty Third Avenue. Terry Rob Trio, seven to ten p.m. Thursday, February eighth, at the Nines Hotel, five twenty-five, Southwest Morrison Street. Dan Balmer Jazz Guitar, five p.m. at Wilts, eight hundred Northwest Sixth Avenue at Union Station. Laura Kennard Jazz Piano, six thirty to eight thirty p.m. Friday, February 9th. At Living Room Theaters, 341 Southwest 10th Avenue, Heather Kaiser and Steve Christopherson, 6 p.m. At Fuego Grill Underground in Monarch Hotel, 12566 Southeast 93rd Avenue, Rivka Ross Quartet, 7 p.m. Saturday, February 10th at Rue Claire Marketplace, 6716 Southeast Milwaukee Avenue, Paula Byrne Quartet, 6 to 9 p.m. At Wilt's, Barber Lush Band featuring Tony Piscini Piano, 7 to 9.30 p.m. Sunday, February 11th, at Clyde's Prime Rib, 5474 Northeast Sandy, Ronstein's Sunday Jam, 8 to 10.30 p.m. Stay tuned for more info on jazz in Portland and streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. Thanks for listening. Enjoy Portland music. <laughs> ¶¶
13: Radio music play in the dark of night, you are most likely listening to VCR TV.
0: With your host and DJ
13: Kyle Reese.
0: Friday mornings at 1am, or anytime at xray.fm. Radio is yours, radio is yours.
10: Support for X-Ray
4: FM comes from North Coast Pinball, Nahalem's Little Pinball Sanctuary, located on Highway 101 next to North Coast Mudworks. North Coast Pinball offers monthly tournaments and a selection of games from the 1970s to the present. Learn more at
15: northcoastpinball.com. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two this day in labor history the year was 1937 that day marked a pivotal moment in the continuing flint sit-down strike the nationwide strike against gm started in flint michigan in late december By late January, UAW organizers agreed that nearby Chevy engine plant number four had to be shut down. It was a massive facility. It employed 4,000 workers on two ships. The plant superintendent had been firing union activists. Armed guards patrolled every inch of the facility to prevent a sit-down. Union organizers knew there were company spies in their ranks. They planned the takeover by staging distracting job actions at nearby Chevy plants number 9 and then number 6. This would draw the guards away from plant number 4. And so, on this day, just as the day's shift was ending, workers sat down at Chevy plant number 9. The company guards were ready to launch an attack. They began beating and gassing the sit downers. The women's emergency brigade smashed plant windows to dissipate the gas. The diversion worked. Guards left Chevy number four unattended. Workers then turned off all the machines and barricaded themselves in. The plant guards tried to re-enter and were met with pistons, connector rods, and fire hoses the Women's Emergency Brigade gathered outside the plant and locked arms. UAW organizer Joe Sayan announced, quote, "'We want the whole world to understand what we are fighting for. We are fighting for freedom and life and liberty. This is our great opportunity. What if we should be defeated? What if we should be killed? We have only one life. That's all we can lose. And we might as well die like heroes than like slaves.'" For more information, go to LaborHistoryIn2.com, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at LaborHistoryIn2.
8: X-Ray FM is supported by Slingshot Lounge. Located in southeast Portland on the corner of 56th and Foster, Slingshot Lounge offers an expansive game room, scratch cocktails, and a craft kitchen with a full menu until 2 a.m. Happy hour available weekdays from 3 to 7 and brunch weekends from noon to 4. Slingshot Lounge, decentralizing Portland since 2007. Support for X-Ray FM comes from P-Town
13: Couriers, LLC, a local bicycle food delivery company delivering to the Portland metro area in an hour or less. More information and a list of local eateries they work with can be found at pdxccc.com. Support for X-Ray FM
11: comes from the Hollywood Theater, Portland's nonprofit historic movie theater, showing classic, contemporary, and cult films every night of the week, located at Northeast Sandy Boulevard in the heart of the Hollywood District show times and event listings at hollywoodtheater.org this is the Tom Hartman
8: program hey welcome back to the third hour of our program just a, a, a quick note we've you know we've been sending out this uh uh, podcast every day for years now. It's called The Hartman Report. It's, uh, it's an hour long. It's free. You, know, you can get it from any of your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Music, whatever. Um, and it's been this one-hour version of the show up until this point. Well, we've added a second pod, daily podcast to it, and that is uh, me reading The Daily Take, which is our, our daily. It's typically the opening rant on the show. Uh, it's also published at HartmanReport.com. Um, it's also free, and, and, and for people who subscribe to our regular podcast, they'll also start getting that. So just an FYI that that's there for you if you would like it. You can track it down however you like, and you can listen to my Daily Take, as, as it were, as well as read it. 94% of California's population is at risk of life-threatening floods. This is happening right now. We've got this massive, uh, what they call them, atmospheric rivers. We get them here in Portland commonly. Uh, you know, they, they, they start in the area of Hawaii, and they pick up massive amounts, I mean, literally trillions of gallons of water, and, and bring it across the Pacific Ocean and hit some you know, colder land, and it precipitates out, and boom, you've got rain. Uh, but the, the thing is that the air, the atmosphere, the amount of, air, the amount of moisture that the atmosphere can hold is uh, a function of a bunch of different variables, but the main one is temperature. The you know the 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 warmer the air is, the more moisture it can hold. So if you're looking at you know a perfectly normal phenomena of you know moist air, the pineapple express, you know moist air from from the central uh, Pacific Ocean making its way to the west coast to the north of the United States of North America. Uh, You know, that's a normal thing, but if, but now, uh, you know, I I guess the, the, I'm not an atmospheric scientist, and I can't verify this, but I've read now in two different places that they're suggesting that for every one degree Fahrenheit, you get about a 7% increase in the amount of moisture that can be held by the atmosphere, and we're at 1.5 degrees right now, so that's, you know, about a 10% increase, and that's a hell of a lot of water when you're talking trillions of gallons of water. So, uh, you know, number one, if you live in California, duck, <laughs> get ready. Um, I can tell you, you know, living in a place where we frequently get these kind of things, uh, you know, Louise and I have uh, learned, to, you know, if you've got a, a backup, like, a, you know, we've got a little fireplace in our house, and so we've got, uh, a, you know, a bunch of wood for that. <laughs> um, it, we've we lose power frequently, and so we've got a bunch of uh, UPSs, uninterruptible power supplies, or just big batteries that you know they sell. Um, we are uh, we've got a car that we can use to power our house, and we've got that you know wired up and, and ready to go in the event of power failures. Um, so just you know, you don't need to freak out about it, but it is a good idea to to uh, what do I say? Be prepared, the old Boy Scout motto. All right, let's pick up your calls here. John in Seattle. Hey, John, what's uh, what's on your mind? Good
16: morning, Tom. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, it's, I was reading in the paper last week, uh, I believe it might have been Thursday or Friday. Uh, it's in the New York Times, but I I was reading it in the Seattle paper. The Judge Henderson on the district court.
8: Right. Uh, this, is, look, this is hearing um, Trump's I'm immune appeal. And she seems yes, inclined yes. to give him all the, all the time he wants.
16: It said, well, it says here, Karen Henderson has generally shown herself to be more willing than some of her colleagues on the appeals court to rule in fa- ways favorable to Trump. Right. So she's a canon judge. Anyway, so in November 2019, she was among the dissenters in the eight to three decision by the full appeals court that Trump's accounting firm must turn over eight years of his financial records to Congress. Oh really? She was also Jeez. also part of a panel that ruled in February twenty twenty that Trump's former White House counsel, Don McGann, was immune from being subpoenaed to testify before the House. And it took seven months for the full court to reverse the decision. So she, she's a, in favor of uh, Trump. Yeah. And she's the chief uh, justice who does the writing. Um, oh, really? Who, who appointed yeah. her? Do you know? George Bush.
8: Yeah, okay.
16: H, George H.W. Bush. The other two judges were appointed by Joe Biden. Hmm. Interesting. You can write them separately, but I think that uh, she's the chief. But I think they want to do it to get all the, together.
8: Yeah. Yeah.
16: She faces no deadline to complete the job.
8: That's correct. And she's been procrastinating. I mean, that, that court has, they, they, they should have had a ruling on this thing weeks ago. It's not rocket Well, they science.
16: should have had a time date set for them to have the decision made.
8: Well, there's nobody. You know, who can through do an ethics
16: committee or something.
8: Yeah, there, there's nobody. There's nobody over the appeals court other than the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court's not going to intervene. Yeah, this, this, uh, you know, this, this is what happens. Uh, the one, one, of the very first things, if you look at what Putin did in Russia, you look at at what Hitler did in Germany, you look at Orban, you know, what he has done in Hungary, um, you look at what Pinochet did in Chile, you look at what Bolsonaro did in Brazil. One of the first things they do. Is they try to corrupt the court system, because the court system is basically the last bulwark against, um, uh, you know, official malfeasance, official misbehavior. So, uh, you know, there, here we are. Trump had his way. John. And, well, and, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just, I was just going to thank you for the call. Is there a final point you wanted to make?
16: Um, no, but uh, it's just sad that it has to go that direction. Yeah. And but you know, that it's good that people know that you know when you have a judge like cannon or henderson it's just it should be called out and put in public i agree in the public time, so. i agree
8: i agree john well, thank, thank you. you yep thank you very much brent uh brant excuse me in travels rest uh, south carolina hey brant what's on your mind today
1: uh hi tom thanks for taking my call
0: sure
1: uh nikki haley is very much on my mind i get flyers almost every day Mm -hmm. yes 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 Uh, i get flyers almost every day about cutting spending and decreasing the deficit oh my and that's it she doesn't talk anything about potential policy how she would help the average american Mm -hmm. I know that she's being bankrolled by, like, a couple of libertarian billionaires. Yep. And I also believe that most people do not realize that she is 100% libertarian. (laughs) And I think it's very important that people know that.
8: What do you mean by 100%?
1: Oh, She's she's an ideologue. She completely... Mm -hmm. Whatever is spent, there has to be... What is that, Tom? it has to equal out zero right. sum, right? Yeah. Uh, and by the way, your your uh, explanation of its libertarianism last week was very, very good.
8: Yeah, well, it's a scam. It's it was created by the real estate industry, you know, to to stop rent control. I mean, that was that was their whole original thing. And and uh, yeah, incredible. Okay, Brant. Yeah, I have a feeling if Nikki Haley, I I think she has a chance. I, I continue to think she has a chance. And if she does have a chance at becoming the nominee, uh, we need to be paying a little more careful attention to her. So, Brant, thank you for that. Uh, one more bit of data into, into the machine. Thank you. Uh, we'll be back it's, uh, in just a few seconds. It'll be 15 minutes past the hour. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Looks like Prince Charles has prostate cancer. Doesn't, uh, you know, we don't know if it's uh, bad or not, but we'll find out. I guess I'm dating myself by calling him Prince Charles. He's King Charles now. Anyway, Gary in Monroe, Georgia. Hey, Gary, what's on your mind today?
17: Hello, Tom. Thank you. Uh, did I hear you say earlier? I'm not sure that you don't you don't believe in the poll, the latest poll results. Uh, I think they're referring to President Biden's approval rating, the economy is. Uh, Fitness for the job at his age, right? I, I, I hear don't. You say that you don't believe? Wait a minute. Did I hear you say you don't believe in poll, the polls?
8: No. What you heard me say is I don't believe that the polls are reflecting anything that is uh, all that meaningful or consequential at this point. That most people don't really start paying attention to politics until the end of the summer, and you know if the polls were looking like this in August or September, I'd be very concerned. But I'm not concerned right now. But
17: I, am, I am. Okay.
8: That's your that's and I'll your tell you the
17: poll that concerns. I'm gonna tell you the poll concerns me the, the most, mm. and that's the approval rating. No president's been reelected with his poll. I know it's I know we're talking we're February, but I'm not so sure we're not taking this seriously enough mm. earlier on. We don't have the we don't have the time to wait until May or June to see, frankly, in all due respect, for the polls that get better. I, I think that the, something inherently there's something inherently wrong here, and I think Bernie Sanders has nailed it, and i believe this for a long time. I've been saying for a long time, we're our own worst enemy. And he said in his book, and quote me if I'm wrong, that too many of the American people, he didn't say too many, Many. I'm saying too many American people are, wrong, are angry at the wrong people.
8: Sure. I mean, that's the essence of Tom Frank's book, uh, You Know, What's the Matter with Kansas? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, w- I... Go ahead. Go ahead. I get what you're saying. And and I I but like like I said, I'm 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 not I, I'm just I, I think the vast mm. the, the number one thing that is driving down his approval rating right now is what's going on in Gaza. And that situation is going to have to resolve itself and fairly quickly. And and I believe it will. And when it does, I think you're gonna see those numbers change.
17: Maybe the American people, there's too many American people, God bless them, getting too rich for their britches. They got a lot of cash in their pocket. I, I, not, the I think the, I think the opposite
8: law. is the case. I think there's too many Americans who are no longer oh, in the I middle know. class who once were.
17: Uh, well, we, we respectively disagree there, but... but. Uh, oh, the middle class uh, is now
8: 43% of America. Um, you know, when, when Reagan came into office, it was 62% of America.
17: Uh, Let me ask you this, then. I see your point, point. I hope I'm trying to clarify my point. When a barrel of apples has so many apples at, at the start that are pure, and there's a few bad ones, but then the last 20 years or last 10 years, and especially the five years, the bad apples have increased, and the momentum towards the good apples is
8: increasing. You understand my thinking? Sort of. I don't think the. Me- I, I'm not sure the metaphor really applies, though.
17: You sure about that? Well. greed is a greed is the strongest card in the deck, along with reality. And greed has no heart ever. Yeah. And I think the American people, America, too many American people are flat out greedy.
8: I don't disagree with that, but I think an awful lot of that greed is being motivated by a sense of you know the by the system is rigged person. against me. That, you know, By it's, a bad person. Yeah, the, the, that so it's I'm harder. Yeah, tough. I got it, Gary. Thank you. That I, I think it's I think it's the sense that the system has been rigged against us, and I mean, look at what we're paying for health insurance. Look at what we're paying for college, things like that. Look at what we're paying for rent, for God's sake. Missed my opening rant today? It's usually published over at HartmanReport.com, where you can read it and share it with your friends for free. Check it out, HartmanReport.com. So Maga Mike and the Republicans want a religious test for people running for public office. They want to know that you are sufficiently Christian to be worthy of being elected right mega mike is one of these uh, seven mountain evangelicals there are seven domains where these dominionists believe that we need to have religion completely take them over education religion family business government military arts and entertainment and the media seriously this is not what jesus was preaching when he said give unto caesar what is caesar and unto unto god what is god's this is the opposite, in fact, of what Jesus was teaching. It's the opposite of Matthew 25 where Jesus said the only way to get to heaven is by feeding the hungry, healing the sick, helping the poor. It's, this is counter-Christian, anti-Christian, in fact. In fact, I think you could say it is the Antichrist's work. There's a piece about it over at HartmanReport.com. Check it out. Twenty minutes past the hour. So Connecticut becomes the first state to wipe out medical debts for residents. One billion dollars in unpaid bills. Uh, Governor Ned Lamott announced the plan on Good Morning America today and uh, unveiled a plan to partner with nonprofit organizations that buy medical debt and eliminate it at reduced cost. The way this works is hospitals and doctor's offices if, if, uh, if they've got unpaid debt, they know that the odds of them ever getting anything for that unpaid debt are fairly slim. Um, but they'll take something rather than nothing. And so what they'll do is uh, they'll sell that debt for a small percentage of what it's actually worth. So say you owe $10,000 to the hospital, the hospital will sell that debt to a debt collector, for $1,000 or for $300 or, or for $1,500, depending on what they think the odds of anything being collected are. And then the debt collector, you know, goes and they now own your debt and they go into hyperdrive and try to harass you and get the most out of you that you can. So what these uh, nonprofits are doing is they're going to the hospitals and the doctors and saying, you know, instead of selling that $10,000 debt for, for 1000 bucks to a debt collector, sell it for 1000 bucks to us. And we'll raise money from people and we'll take that thousand dollar debt which actually represents a ten thousand dollar debt and we'll pay off that thousand dollars to the hospitals uh to the hospital and they'll wipe that debt out and so your ten thousand dollar debt simply goes away and when it's done by the state as as connecticut is doing their democratic governor is doing you don't even have to apply for this because the state knows who owes money and who doesn't the state has all these records And so what you discover, they're going to do this uh, in part with money from the American Rescue Plan and in part with uh, private donations. But they've they've, uh, put together a $6.5 million fund out of the American Rescue Plan to pay off uh, medical debt, and they're going to use this. And I think this is great. We are literally the only democracy in the world where people go bankrupt, where entire families lose their homes because somebody got sick. No other country in the world has medical debt at the rate we do. And, in fact, medical debt is the number one debt in America. More people have medical debt than any other kind of debt. I mean, the numbers are, are, are really pretty grim. And, and it's a, uh, frankly, in my opinion, it's an indictment of us. Uh, one in ten Connecticut residents have medical debt, significant medical re- debt, Um, A quarter of Americans are currently battling to pay off debts higher than $5,000 from medical bills. One in five believe they will never be able to cover the cost of care they need. So here we have between a half million and a million people every year who go bankrupt because of medical debt in the United States. The number of people who go bankrupt because of medical debt in Canada? Zero. Germany? Zero. Finland? Zero. England? Zero. Denmark? Zero. Switzerland? Zero. Uh, France, zero. Italy, zero. Greece, zero. I, you know, we're the, only, we're, the, we're the village idiots, right, for the whole world. And it's all because the big insurance companies are making billions of dollars, and they're taking a, a small slice of that, a few million out of those billions of dollars in profit that they're making, and they're using it to buy legislators to keep this situation in place. And it's just, it's just wrong. It's just absolutely wrong. All right, back to your calls here. Mark in Chicago. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind today?
18: Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, You've kind of moved on from this subject, but uh, some time ago you were talking about the um, couple in Detroit that's being held responsible for their son's shooting. Right, the Crumbly family. Exactly. And I just wanted to bring to your attention the father of the Highland Park shooter, uh, the 4th of July Highland Park shooter, actually served time for seven misdemeanor counts, um, he, one of them being uh, signing his son's void application card. Oh, really? Knowing his son had month. Yeah. So this is the uh, second his time. His name is Cremo. Robert Cremo Sr., I believe. you can. I just Googled it while I was yeah. uh, on hold. Um, yeah, he served, it was only 60 days, and I think he only served half. I don't know how that ever got um, settled, but he did right. actually face charges and serve time. He arrived to court with a shirt saying, I'm a political pawn. Um, Mm -hmm. Just, you know, defiant, defiant. But it brings to mind, um, when we were kids, certain parents would host parties and let their kids drink. And that was nothing. And now, parents face big consequences for doing that. So perhaps we are witnessing a slow... Change in our mentality. Um, I would, I would like to hope so.
8: I believe we are, and uh, and I and I suspect that we're going to see this become more and more of a trend. Um, both uh, parents being held criminally responsible, as is happening with the Crumbly family, but also parents being held civilly responsible. Um, you know, lawsuits filed against the uh, against the families and things. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. But you know, all of this is a symptom of a larger problem, and that is that we have too many guns in this society. Um, you know, people who have no reason to have a gun. People who have no, frankly, I was going to say, no right to have a gun. I realize uh, Anthony Scalia would have disagreed with me, but um, I, I, it's fairly clear to me that the Second Amendment is talking about a well-regulated militia, not about a gun. Uh, you know, not about individuals. But nonetheless, you know, the law is what it is. But but uh, until we until we start doing something about all these guns and and. I mean this explosion in gun deaths in the United States to where now, you know, more children die from guns than any other cause only in the United States out of the entire world. Um this explosion has only has basically only happened since the Reagan revolution. This has all happened in the last 20, 30, 40 years.
18: So. Yeah, um it brings to mind when you say that, you know the right to own a gun um The same people that clamor about the Second Amendment uh, also want to disregard the 14th Amendment when it suits them.
8: Yeah, good point. Good point. They selective reading of the Constitution. Mark, thank you for the call, and thanks for listening to WCPT. It's 27 minutes past the hour. I'll be back with your calls on the other side of this break. It's the Tom Hartman program. Speaking the truths the NRA would really rather you didn't know. I'll be right back with
11: You're listening to the Tom Hartman
8: Program. Call 202-808-9925. Exposing the con in conservative. I'll be back with your calls right after this. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Measuring What Counts, The Bol- Global Movement for Well-Being by Joe Stiglitz, uh, Jean-Paul Fatoussi and Martine Duran. And this is from the, uh, the first chapter labeled Overview. The High-Level Expert Group on the Measurement of Economic Performance and Social Progress also known as HLEG, builds on the analyses and recommendations of the 2009 Commission on the Measurement of Economic Performance and Social Progress, also known as the stiglitz senator Fatusi Commission, in highlighting the role of well-being metrics in policy and encouraging a more active dialogue among economic theory and statistical practice. The report makes explicit the often implicit assumptions hidden in statistical practices, and their real-world consequences. Its central message is that what we measure affects what we do. If we measure the wrong thing, we will do the wrong thing. If we don't measure something, it becomes neglected, as if the problem didn't exist. There is no simple way of representing every aspect of well-being in a single number in the way GDP describes market economic output. This has led to GDP being used as a proxy for both economic welfare like people's command over com- commodities, and general welfare, which also depends on people's attributes and non-market activities. GDP was not designed for this task. We need to move beyond GDP when assessing a country's health and complement GB- GDP with a broader dashboard of indicators that would reflect the distribution of well-being in society and in sustainability across the social, economic, and environmental dimensions the challenge is to make the dashboard small enough to be easily comprehensible but large enough to summarize what we care about the most the 2008 crisis and its aftermath illustrate why a change in perspective is needed the gdp loss that followed the crisis was not the temporary one-off event predicted by conventional macroeconomic models its effects have lasted over time suggesting that the crisis caused the permanent loss of significant amounts of capital Not just machines and structures, but also hidden capital in the form of lower on-the-job training, permanent scars on young people entering the labor market during a recession, and lower trust in an economic system rigged to benefit a few. Different metrics, including better measurements of people's economic insecurity, could have shown that the consequences of the recession were much deeper than the GDP statistics indicated and governments might have responded more strongly to mitigate the negative impacts of the crisis if on the basis of gdp the economy is perceived to be well on the road to recovery as many governments believed in 2010 one would not take the strong policy measures needed to support people's living conditions suggested by metrics that inform on whether most of the population still feels in recession not only uh, nor would one take measures to bolster the safety net and social protection in the absence of metrics on the extent of people's economic insecurity. These failings in the policy responses to the crisis were compounded by overly focusing on the consequences of public spending and raising government's liabilities, when the spending could take the form of investment, increasing the assets in government's and countries' balance sheets. The same follows when measures of unemployment do not reflect the full extent of a country's unused labor resources. The beyond-GDP agenda is sometimes characterized as anti-growth, but this is not the case. The use of a dashboard of indicators reflecting what we value as a society would have led, most likely, to stronger GDP growth than that actually achieved by most countries after 2008. This book also looks at progress in implementing the recommendations of the stiglitz senator Fatusi Commission since 2009, identifying areas that require increased focus by statistical agencies, researchers, and policymakers. The UN Sustainable Development Goals, agreed by the international community in 2015, clearly go far beyond GDP. But their 169 policy targets and more than 200 indicators for global monitoring are too many to guide policies. Countries will have to identify their priorities within the broader UN agenda and upgrade their statistical capacities, which, even in developed countries, are insufficient to monitor whether the agreed-upon commitments are being met. The international community should invest in upgrading the statistical capacity of developing countries, especially in areas where country data are needed to assess global phenomena, such as climate change or the world distribution of income. Inequality in income and wealth has today a central role in policy discussions in ways it did not in 2009. But important progress is still needed in a range of areas such as measuring what happens at both ends of the income distribution, integrating different data sources, and measuring the joint distribution of income consumption and wealth at the individual level. When looking at inequality, it's also important to look at differences between groups these are called horizontal inequalities, at inequalities within households, and the way resources are shared and managed, which are especially important in the case of wealth. We should also look beyond inequality in outcomes to inequality of opportunity. Inequality of opportunity is even more unacceptable than inequality of outcomes, but the operational distinction between the two is fuzzy as we don't observe all circumstances that shape people's outcomes and are independent of their efforts. The book Measuring What Counts by Joe Stiglitz and Friends. From international trade policy to immigration policy to housing, we've got all kinds of topics. The wars between Republicans and Democrats, the Republican efforts to induce fascism in the United States. A great selection of opinions will be found over at HartmanReport.com. From Los Angeles to Columbia, South Carolina, from Birmingham, Alabama to Baltimore, universal basic income programs are chalking up proof after proof of their viability. Basically, just giving people, low-income people, poor people, somewhere between $500 and $1,500 a month, no strings attached, is lifting people out of poverty, getting them back on track, getting them into solid middle-class jobs, helping their children tremendously. This works. Now, we don't have to do UBI in the United States. We're the only developed country in the world that doesn't have a national health care program. Health expenses are whacking a lot of low-income people. We're the only country, developed country in the world that doesn't have free college education. Education expenses are whacking people. There's a lot we could do. We can subsidize housing. We can subsidize food. We do that with food stamps. We could expand it. There's a lot we could do to, to, to benefit from this. There's a whole report about that over at HartmanReport.com. Check it out. Come back thirty five minutes past the hour, picking up your calls here, John in uh, Loma Linda, California. Hey, John, what's on your mind today?
19: Yeah, thank you for the, taking my call. Uh, one of the first issues I wanted to speak about is the Fourteenth Amendment doesn't prevent somebody from running for office; it only prevents them from holding office. You're right, technically, and 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 and, and the MAGA supporters have a right to start a write-in campaign for Trump if he's not on the ballot. Mm-hmm. And if he wins, if he wins on the ballot, or if the Supreme Court rules that his name could stay, still be on the ballot, that and then he wins that ballot, then the issue then becomes this, can he hold the office? Correct. And then that issue would go to Congress. The problem with getting a write-in campaign is the MAGA supporters would have to build such a strong campaign to get Trump on the ballot, and I don't think they're going to be able to pull that through, because Trump doesn't have the supporters coming to his court appearances like he used to have, and uh, all all of the Proud Boy groups, they're all in prison now, or they've been uh, silenced by the Justice Department, and as a consequence, how are you gonna have a write in campaign for Trump? And I think I think you have to uh, let that that issue be resolved after the people elect the person. Right. If if Trump is on Trump's on the ballot on a write in ballot or on a, a regular state ballot and he loses then the issue then becomes is, was that, uh, that election stolen? Everything right. that you
8: just said, John, is true uh, with regard to how the law is written or how the 14th Amendment is written. That said, the, the secretary, most states have laws that require the Secretary of State or local election officials to determine if a person is eligible to hold office before they're allowed to be placed on the ballot. So, somebody who's under 35 years old, um, most states would not allow them to go on the ballot as as a presidential candidate. If they were born in another country rather than the United States, the, uh, they wouldn't allow that to happen. Um, this is a problem Czech Huger is facing, for example, from the Young Turks. Um, you know, that he was the born in Turkey.
19: Of, the, the Secretary of states cannot. Say you can't write in somebody on the ballot. That's that's so true. You, you can you can you can write in Mickey Mouse or Minnie Mouse. That's true. And if, if Mickey Ma- if Mickey Mouse wins, the question then becomes: Is can Mickey Mouse hold the office? Right. What I'm my my point is is that that you have to allow somebody to run for office, and you let the people decide who gets elected. And if the person doesn't get elected. Then, then they have to complain that the,
8: the election was stolen. So we but, should let uh, yeah. 20 year olds run for public office. We should let Taylor Swift, she's not yet 40, uh, 35 years old, uh, let her run for office for president?
19: Not on, not on the ballot. But they certainly oh, can as,
8: write a, her as in. a as a as a write in and then as yeah. a write in okay. campaign. Yeah, I you know, I, you I get the the technical logic of everything you're saying, John. In in practical reality though, the way it's gonna play out is if the Supreme Court says he's not eligible, he's gonna get removed from the ballot in most of these states. Um, and if they say he is eligible, that's gonna be the end of that. So, you know, we'll see where it goes. Mark, I gotta move along. Thanks for the call. Cheryl in Snohomish, Washington. Hey Cheryl, what's on your mind? hi, hi Tom. I have Laryngitis, so you might not be able
4: to understand me. Uh, Um, I'll do my best. um, The last sentence in the 14th Amendment, Section 3, read, but Congress may by a vote of the two thirds of each house remove such disability.
8: Correct. Are you aware of that sentence? I am, yeah. And, And what that suggests is that this law is self executing. It doesn't require special right. congressional legislation to put it into place, and that uh, the the uh, the, uh, the final say on whether somebody can run for office is not up to the up to the courts; it's up to Congress.
4: Right. So then, why
8: doesn't Trump ask Congress if he can be on the ballot? Because he would. There's no way that he would get the majority necessary uh, defined by the Fourteenth Amendment. Exactly. That's my point. Oh, I see. There is, a fix. there is a fix there. Yeah. And he can do
4: that, but he wouldn't get on the ballot. Well, that's yeah. what our Constitution says, and I think I should be protected
8: yeah, and that, from him. Yeah, I agree. And that may be how the Supreme Court rules on this thing. If they decide to, uh, you know, if, they, if their big donors tell them, take Trump off the ballot because we're afraid he's going to lose to Biden and we'd rather have Nikki Haley or you know, somebody else who won't lose to Biden, Um, if they, if, if that's the marching orders that they get, my guess is that the rationale that they'll use is that we're not preventing Trump from being on the ballot. Congress has the final say in this matter. So we're saying Mm -hmm. that, you know, he, he engaged in insurrection and cannot hold public office, but the, the, the very same provision of the 14th amendment that requires us to do this also says that it, you know the congress by this by this majority supermajority vote can can put him can remove that disability can make it possible for him to run for public office and they did that by the way for some some confederate soldiers former confederate soldiers um, so uh that that way they diminish the heat on themselves you know in my opinion exactly so, yeah i think i think I you got that's it cheryl. Ruling. Yeah. that's all i wanted. thank you okay thank you cheryl that was a good one john in roselle okay. illinois hey john what's on your mind today
7: Hey Tom, thanks for taking my call. Sure, um, I was just calling. Uh, I got a couple of quick ideas. One is um, relabeling the Republican Party and do it in a way that uh, the orange ego would love it, and the Republican Party would be driven crazy, probably, would you have a wedge driven between them, and relabel it as the uh,
8: uh, Trump Republicans. <laughs> Trump Republicans. <laughs>
7: <laughs> yeah, and he would go for it, obviously, because yeah. he wants his. He wants his bust on uh, Mount Rushmore.
8: Yeah, (laughs) there you go. I
7: think relabeling the party after him, especially now that he controls it, would probably fit well into his pocket. Uh, Then the other thing, too, and I'll just make it real quick, is um, and it doesn't seem like we make enough of an issue of it, is the fact that Donald Trump doesn't like dogs, because you know a lot of Republicans like dogs, and if we brought out the reason why, I'm sure it would alienate a lot of dog lovers.
8: So what's the reason why he doesn't love dogs?
7: I I don't know. That's I'm wondering many, if he's just afraid that. of them.
8: Uh, I'm. Yeah, uh, although it it maybe his germophobia. You know, dogs. You know. <laughs>
7: yeah, or something, or or just not the ability to to really uh, have a good relationship.
8: Yeah, that's that, true. That he he's never he's never yeah. apparently created a decent relationship with any mammal other than Jeffrey Epstein. Um, right.
7: So, I think somebody should in public ask him that question.
8: Why do um, you hate dogs? See what
7: he, you know, and not necessarily hate, because I don't yeah. know that it's ever come out that he hates dogs. Yeah. So what, I think, what is your objection to dogs? I think he's the first
8: president not to have a pet in the White House in a long, long time. I, I don't yeah, recall, you know, you know, who was the last, but, uh, you know, I mean, I'm talking the late 19th, early 20th century.
1: Yeah,
7: and I think just that that, that coming out might shake two three percent of the Republican Party away from him.
8: Yeah, if, there you go. That's an idea, John. That's an idea. Thank yeah. you very much for that, Bob in Farnham, Virginia. Hey, Bob, what's on your mind today? Hi,
16: Tom. I know this may sound like small potatoes, you know, in the in the uh, world of incredible crises that we're facing. But we still have major problems with the United States Postal Service. I think DeJoy is, I think he's kind of gone under the radar for a while. Mm -hmm. But um, I think he's doing two things. He's really sabotaging part of our nation's infrastructure with the Postal Service. And, you know, he may be angling for uh, being a little bit more, I don't know, of a uh, you know, having an effect on this upcoming election. but I think he's, trying to, pri- he's, he's trying to set it up, it up for privatization.
8: On. You know, he, he owns yeah, a well, trucking he company. He has that, competing interests, right? Yeah, he owns a trucking company that contracts to the post office, and I'm sure that they're doing very, very well right now. Thank you very much. Um, but he's trying to set it up for privatization. Maybe he has, you know, dreams of, you know, once it is privatized, of being the CEO for life or whatever. I don't know. But uh, there are two open seats on the Postal Board of Governors right now. And we need to be calling the White House. The White House comment line is 202-456-1111. And calling our members of Congress, 202-224-3121, and telling them, appoint two people to the Postal Board of Governors who will fire Joy and do it now biden has been procrastinating on this and he's got to stop he's got to do it
11: you're listening to tom hartman visit tom for
8: audio and video archives taking back the mainstream media three hours a day five days a week right here i'll be right back with your calls And welcome back. Clay in Vicksburg, Mississippi. Hey, Clay, what's on your mind today? Well, you mentioned the Democrat Party. So
19: I I think that it could be that it doesn't get any, you know, a lot of uh, talk about or feedback or rebuttal or anything, because uh, it it can be, the Democrat can be seen as a description of People may just take it that way, rather than as a name no, of the party. It's a
8: slur. When, well, when I know it is. It's, as a, mean, as I, a proper I, noun, it's Democratic Party. As that's right. The people who are members of the Democratic Party are Democrats. Um, right, but you know, and it's, it's, I get it. Republican is a little different. It's the Republican Party and people who are yeah. members of the party are Republicans, but yeah, um, you wouldn't say. I just I'm think
4: a, that may be why it doesn't get a
8: lot of you know. No, this was, uh, this, was uh-huh. that, this was something that this was something that Joe McCarthy was all over in the uh, 1950s, yeah. and it became a major fad among Republicans. Right, and now it's become basically the you know the the style manual for right wing hate radio and television. Yeah, okay. That was my thought. Okay, good talking to you, Clay. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Vanessa in North Hollywood, California. Hey, Vanessa. How are you listening to us, by the way?
10: Hi, Tom. Uh, Free Speech TV.
8: Okay, great. Let me make a note of that. What's on your mind today?
10: Uh, when I heard the California voter who uh, received uh, the ballot with a certain alarm because of the person on the column right above Joe Biden is this person called... Um, President R. Body. Mm -hmm. It turns out President R. Body is from Locust Grove, Georgia, surrounded by, you know, people who fly the Confederate flag and whatnot. And uh, it turns out he changed his name. He changed his first name. Legally changed his first name to President. Mm -hmm. So this was grabbed a spot on the California ballot um, with every intention of confusing people. And, you know, that's something we can't prove a lot. But
8: yeah. That's um, how Republicans roll.
10: Yeah. I'm afraid so. Um, if We have a lot of help voting in California. We have this thing called the, the Voter's Guide. comes from mm-hmm. the Secretary of State Weber's office. And um real candidates can place their statements in it and you can read this like six weeks before the election and this person conveniently waited till the deadline had passed for getting in the guide Mm. so uh it's it's good to be vigilant pay attention stay engaged um and read your ballot carefully um poll workers are not supposed to rush you through the process. They'll help you with foreign languages and any number of things. Um, But if you, you know, oh, and if you mess up your ballot, you can do that twice before they say, okay, maybe you're not not okay for this process. So um, California voters, California Democrats, stay engaged, stay vigilant, and I think we'll have a, a, a nice outcome from this.
8: I think so, too. I, I do, too. But you're, you're absolutely right. Pay attention. Pay careful attention, particularly when the Republicans are trying these sneaky tricks. Vanessa, thank you. Thanks for the information on that, Guy. It's great. I really appreciate it. It's ten minutes before the hour. We'll be right back. <laughs> Thanks so much for sharing our program and for reaching out to our stations and sponsors and letting them know that you're listening. It really means a lot to us. So a lot of people are wondering, why is it in America that we can't have nice things? Why don't we have, you know, the same things every other democracy has? Every other democracy in the world has a national health care system of some form, and everybody is covered. We don't. We've got 27 million uninsured people and over 100 million underinsured people. Why is that? Why is it that every other country in the world offers college education very inexpensively, if not for free? And for here, you go to debt. Why is it that we've got our public schools crumbling and other, other countries are doing well? Why is it that we've got Medicare being taken apart by this Medicare Advantage scam and nobody will do anything about it? Well, it turns out the reason why has it boils down to one thing, one Supreme Court decision, Citizens United, legalizing the bribery of our politicians. There's a whole rant about this over at, at uh, HartmanReport.com. Uh, I think you're, you're going to find it very, very useful. Check it out. Nine minutes before the hour, picking up your calls, Mark in Chicago. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind today? How you doing? Good. Um, what's up? I was listening to your conversation with
7: Kenyatta, I heard him wrong but did he say that he only voted twice
8: I believe I heard him say that but I yeah, you should ask him rather than me
7: I think that's what he said and you know I hardly take any opinions or advice from a person who does not participate in what is the most crucial uh, decision that any adult Uh, Can make, in the electoral process.
8: You're entitled to to discount or appreciate somebody's opinion based on whether or not they vote. But so what? I mean, did you just call to pick on Kenyatta?
7: Just I wasn't calling to pick on them, but I'm just you know he was he was suggesting conversation, suggesting in his conversation, telling us about. Who we who we should allow to have on the ballot who we should not allow and then at the tail end of his
8: station with you he suggested that he only voted twice yeah well he's at least he's voting you know I mean you know I, I'll t- I, if somebody makes a conversion to participating in democracy I'll take it I you know I still uh, I still respect him and his opinions mark thanks for the call uh Ron in Chicago hey Ron what's on your mind today
12: yes uh...
16: there is the $180 million, uh... eight hundred one hundred eighty million dollar uh... bill that is trying to be passed through the uh, senate and house mm-hmm. um, about migration in ukraine is that different from what uh... chris and cinnamon is trying to put through is that two different things
8: the bill you're talking about the one that combines ukraine aid israeli ukraine. aid the southern border yeah. Yeah, Kirsten Sinema was one of the negotiators on that.
16: Yeah, but she's—I heard her say yesterday she's trying to put through a a bill of her own that basically says if you're a migrant poor, don't bother coming here.
8: That's one that. Oh, I don't, I don't know. I didn't catch (laughs) that. If 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 that's the case, I'm sorry.
16: Yeah, Yeah, there must be two different things. All right. Yeah. Okay, that's all I want to know. Okay.
8: Thank you. Thanks, Ron. Leslie in Lagrange, Illinois. Hey, Leslie, what's on your mind today?
4: Good morning, or good afternoon, Tom. Um, The gentleman called in earlier about uh, why dogs may not like Trump or why Trump doesn't like dogs. Mm -hmm. I can. That my dog Bentley, who is the sweetest dog in the world, when he sees Trump on the television set, he literally lunges and barks at the TV. I have video.
8: He can detect evil right through the television. That's incredible. uh,
4: and it's it, that's the only
8: time he does it. That's incredible. Well,
4: yeah.
8: <laughs> th- oh. Thank you for that I, story, I, Leslie. I him, so, you
4: know, I trust my dog.
8: I get it. I get it. I trust your dog too, <laughs> Leslie. Your your dog is a good judge of people. Thank you very much for sharing that, Jeffrey in Shrevesport, Louisiana. Hey, Jeffrey, what's on your mind today?
20: Hey, um, I I want you to. Talk to a psychologist or a psychiatrist about Trump's mind on on this topic. You know, he's told tens of thousands of jokes in public, um, probably millions in his life, and that has to do something to a mind. I mean, if you were in a in a college
8: doing doing a you say jokes and, or lies and, that he's told.
20: No, I said jokes. I meant lies. Okay. Okay, but. Thank you. But I, I say that's a, t- 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 a screener too. What's wrong with me? But uh, <laughs> it's all good. But 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 um, if you were doing doing an experiment in college, you know, um, and you had to lie all day, I think it would affect you. At the end of the day, it would it would mess you up. Yeah. And Trump, every every time reality gives him a problem, he makes up a new reality just just like that, mm-hmm. just like that. Mm-hmm. And but the thing about it is, the, the different thing is. You have millions, tens of millions of Trumplodites who will believe what he said. So not only is, is he changing his reality, you know, um, with his mouth, you know, it's in the minds of, of millions of people. Yeah. And I don't believe he can stay sane in that kind of world. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I, he started I don't really out now. sane,
8: Jeffrey. And I love Trumplodites. <laughs> That's great. You know, play on Trumplodites. It's brilliant but i don't think he started out saying i think he's been a pathological liar since probably he was five six seven years old and figured out that that was the only way he could survive his his mom and dad jeffrey i gotta run but thank you for the call um number one you know democracy is not a spectator sport get out there get active tag you're it number two my best friend of the last 50 years just died uh, day before yesterday of covid and he didn't even know he had it he just but it killed him please be careful Be really careful. Take masks seriously and and he was vaccinated and everything, by the way. It just, you know, it's still killing people. So take care. I'll I'll catch up with you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon and we'll see you tomorrow.
11: been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.
0: America's economic and political inequality has led workaday Americans to exclaim, the system is broken. Let's fix it. But there's another version of this protest that I'm hearing more frequently these days. The system is fixed. Let's break it. That certainly applies to such rigged systems as money in politics and voter suppression, but it's also relevant to seemingly mundane matters that restrain our personal freedoms. One of the insidious fixes we need to break is the claim by brand-name corporations that we consumers must be banned by law from repairing the products they sell to us. The weak battery in your cell phone, the fuel sensor in a farmer's tractor, some gizmo in the toaster you bought, a fuse in your business's truck? You could fix all of these yourself or, with a little hassle, take the problem to a local repair shop. But no, such manufacturing powerhouses as Apple, John Deere, and Panasonic assert that only their corporate technicians are authorized to open the product which you own to make it work again. So you are expected to deliver it to their distant facility, wait however many days or weeks they tell you, and pay an inflated price. They've literally fixed the fix for consumer products. They impose their control by making the products as needlessly complicated as possible, then claiming that the complexity is their patented proprietary product. Thus, they say, they don't have to provide repair manuals or sell repair tools to consumers or independent shops. Gotcha. To give their closed profiteering system the force of law, the Giants have deployed armies of lobbyists and lawyers to legislatures and courts, arguing that self-repair people really are scoundrels trying to circumvent safety and environmental rules. This is Jim Hightower saying...